Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. We are coming close to the end of our study in the book of Genesis. If you want to take a moment and turn to chapter 47, and while we're, you're turning there, I'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, last week's message in chapter 46. But before I do that, I just want to remind you, I know a couple of you guys approached me or someone else, um, how many of you guys are aware of the, the men's, bar, men's breakfast coming up on Saturday? Great, all of you. How many of y'all are signed up? Oh, most of you guys. Yeah, so steak and eggs, um, country, country potatoes, and homemade buttermilk biscuits. Just trying to, you know, encourage you to come. <laughs> going to hear some, you know, uh, Bill McCormack is going to bring us a nice devotion and we'll have some worship and just time to hang out and fellowship together as men. Um, bring a friend. Um, probably, based upon what we saw today, we may end up having to close registrations um, tomorrow. You know, I think we're uh, like 78 as of a moment ago. So we can, I think we've got enough room for 100 guys. So if you're going to sign up, I'd do it now before we don't have any stakes for you. There you go. Chapter 46. Hold your place there. We're at 47. As we think about chapter 46, um, just want to touch on a few things from last week. <clears throat> we talked about in, in chapter 46, verses 1 through 4, where we see Jacob as he's preparing now to travel to um, Egypt to see the son that he thought was dead. And excited about that, but he, he has some anxiety, and we know that from the passage about going to Egypt. Because, as I mentioned last week, there were warnings from the Lord to some of his descendants, you know, don't go down to Egypt. Like, that is the place you ought not to go. Don't try to find refuge and solace there. It's not a place for my people. I don't have that for you yet. <laughs> so he has this anxiety. So he takes a moment and he stops at Beersheba and he inquires of the Lord. There he worships the Lord and he inquires of the Lord and as we talked about last week, that is that reminder for us. When we are in a place of anxiety, uncertainty, doubt, whatever that situation may be, the best thing we can do is stop. Remember the goodness of God, the character of God, the fact that he is good all the time. Amen. And that his ways and purposes, though we may not understand them, are always good. For our greatest good and his greatest glory. Pause, worship him, and then inquire of him. And I think we ought to do that more. We live in such a fast-paced society, don't we? You know, you, many of you probably remember all those commercials, Have It Your Way, um, hamburger commercials. And uh, that was just, wasn't just that. It was, this goes farther back. I did it my way, Frank Sinatra. 
many others. But this idea that, hey, we, we have it our way and we have it right now. And we need to slow things down and consider what God would have for us. Um, but then as we move a little bit farther into chapter 46 and verses 8 through 27, as, as we look at this spiritual battle that was likely taking place or definitely was taking place as, as Satan perhaps is thinking, oh my gosh, I'm finally getting these, these people to Egypt right where I want them, not understanding that this was part of God's plan. And for us, sometimes we look at the circumstances and we go, oh my gosh, how could you take me there? And miss the fact that God has something to teach us there. Even in that dark place, even in that difficult place. Maybe we didn't choose it. Maybe it wasn't because of choices or circumstances that we were a party to. But nonetheless, God wants to teach us. And that's, we don't want to miss those opportunities. God doesn't waste anything, does he? Not one thing. He doesn't waste even the messes that we make. He does not waste one thing. And then this one last piece I'll mention is is at the end of the chapter there, verses 31 through 34. As the Lord takes Jacob and his descendants out of Canaan, the, the promised land, but also a place that had become a snare to their souls. And we saw this in the actions of Judah and many others, Reuben, Simeon. Right, that the Canaanites, they, they had just become a snare to the family that God was planning to use. And, and so God is taking them out of the promised land and he's taking them to Egypt. He's doing it for two reasons. One is to remove the snare. But he's also, as we learned last week, he is bringing them into Egypt so that he might segregate them. And I know we don't like that word in our culture and society today, but it's not always about... Um, racism or anything else. It's about the fact that God was trying to create a people that was unique, that was set apart. Set apart for his purposes, and this is where he begins to do this. And he uses some of the racial things in their lives. The fact that Egyptians, as we read, they don't, they don't get along with Hebrews at all. And he, he lays that out very clearly, Right? And so they end up in Goshen, one of the most unpopulated areas, but a great place for flocks. But God was preparing his people. And how many years would he prepare them? 430 years. I mean, that's we're jumping ahead way into the story, uh, into the Exodus. But he's going to prepare them for 430 years. But he's going to do that to raise up his people. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. He desired to preserve them, but he wanted to make them a peculiar or strange people in a strange land, and that's like what God is doing with us today. He's, he, we are in a, we, if we are following him, we look very peculiar and strange to the world, don't we? And it, it's a, more and more apparent in our times. But he did this that he might preserve us, protect us, and make the differences in our lives easily, more readily apparent. That we would shine brighter in the darkness. Now, just as the entire nation of Israel would experience a time of trial and testing, I think 
absolutely, you and I are also experiencing these things more and more, the, the church around the world and the persecutions that are taking place. But again, the purp- purpose is to perfect and preserve us now, but also for that future glory that God has destined, predetermined in his time. And that's, that's the harder part, God's timing. As we look, about, look at our difficult circumstances, I admit, I was with a family this week, and please be praying for him, um, the Pulse family is, um, Joyce is perhaps in her last hours or days, and just, Lord, why haven't you taken her home? We, we look at those things and say, Lord, we don't understand what you're doing, but there is a purpose behind it. So this brings us to chapter 47, and we'll read a little and talk a little. Uh, Verse 1, it says, Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come uh, out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants, flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brother in the rest of the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. If you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Now, we've talked about this before that, and, and I, I think I was talking with Lima about this, the whole idea of preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And so when we look at the life of Joseph, we mentioned that Joseph is a type, and we're going to see more and more of that tonight, uh, specifically in these chapters, um, chapter 47 and 48. And, and, and in this we can see. So let me just bring this to you. It says, Joseph brings his brothers before Pharaoh, and he is their advocate. They ask of Pharaoh, but Joseph fulfills the commands of Pharaoh. And though Pharaoh, uh, through Pharaoh, Joseph sets apart a land and a provisions necessary to protect and preserve life. And the brothers of Joseph are entrusted with Pharaoh's resources. Does this sound familiar? Because Jesus, he brings us before the Father based upon his payment for our debt. He is our preservation and our provision and our protection. He defends us against the accuser day and night. He is our advocate. He is set apart and is preparing a place for us to go. And he awaits our arrival. Meantime, he is currently in this place our source of protection and power. So, again, we, we can't make all the direct correlations. Not every bit of Joseph's life is a picture of uh, Jesus, but there are many parallels here. And it is this beautiful picture that we see. John 14, 1 through 3, um, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe, <clears throat> believe also in me. <coughs> In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, 
and you know the way where I am going. Again, if you think about Joseph's life, is this what is happening? He has gone to prepare a place. <coughs> they knew the way, that they just didn't know where he was at at the time. <coughs> Even as he told his brothers in earlier chapters, God sent me here to protect and preserve life. Look now at verse 7. <coughs> Darn it. <coughs> then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years <coughs> of my sojourning are 130 Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my father lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Now, it's really interesting that Jacob describes his lifetime up to this point as sojourning, as a wanderer. And that is indeed what he's been. And that was, as he describes, my fathers before me, they were sojourning, which means they were in a land that was not their own. They were looking for a land that would become their own. Do you and I look for a land that is not our own, we're currently, but that will be our own? Yeah, we long for that. Like, you start getting a little older and you long for it even more. <laughs> We are looking forward to a home that is promised. He describes his years as few and unpleasant, or as one translation says, few and evil. Why does he say that? Because, you know, when you read it on face value, like, dude, you know, you just got to be with your son you haven't seen in forever, and, and God is clearly blessing you and caring for you. And it's like, well, it's, it's some serious transparency on his part. Think about it. He's been at Beersheba. He knows that he's not been the greatest father and that he's raised some jackal-like sons, right, who sold their brother into slavery. Like, the, the cat is absolutely out of the bag. So he's looking at his life. He goes to Beersheba, and he worships the Lord. He remembers the character of the Lord. He's now here in Egypt. And this, I believe, is, as other commentators have said, is a moment of clarity for him and humility. And he says, in light of my stewardship, God's kindness and my poor stewardship, the life I've lived in the flesh, it's been a poor showing. He says, considering the promise of God to dwell with him for eternity, Jacob's days seem very few. So he's looking at one aspect of it and he's saying, wow, I mean, I have eternity to look forward. So these are just a few days, especially when you consider the number of days of my forefathers where they lived hundreds and hundreds of years. But I know that yet I will still live. I have the eternity to look forward to. And he said, they're just a drop in a bucket. And isn't this what the scripture says? That... Now, Isaiah says that our days are like the grass of the field, you know? 
They're, the, they're like a vapor. The fog that rises in the morning and the sun comes out and disappears. Our days are few. But he also says that they were evil or unpleasant because he understands the nature of his own sin and how some of these events now have brought him to this place in his life. How he's lived in comparison to God's kindness. And I think, I think all of us could echo some of that sentiment, right? How many of us right now, if tonight was our last night, would be able to say, I did everything I had hoped to do and did it perfectly well? <laughs> None of us, right? Not one of us. There is always some piece of regret. Like, oh, I wish I could have been better at this or more devoted to the Lord. More sensitive to his Holy Spirit. A better steward of his gifts and kindnesses and his blessings in my life, right? So when we look at life, we say, yeah, it hasn't been all sunshine and puppy dogs as I look at my life, but remembering the blessings of God and the grace of God. And so Jacob, he's remembering this, like, God has been so good to me. But here's the more amazing part. Despite the failures as, as a steward of the grace and resources of the Lord, the consistent testimony of Jacob's life, and, and for that matter, his son Joseph, it opens the door for Jacob to be in the presence of Pharaoh, a pagan ruler, and to offer a blessing from God to this ruler who believes himself to be the embodiment of God, the sun god, Ra. And, and Pharaoh receives the blessing because Jacob is blessing him how? He's blessing him from the Lord, the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. Yet Pharaoh receives the blessing. Now, I believe this is directly linked to earlier experiences that Pharaoh had with Joseph. Think back with me. Chapter 41, verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Speaking of Joseph. He's saying the spirit of God dwells in this man. And then he gives him in verse 45 of the same chapter, he names him Zaphonath Panea, which means God speaks and he lives. So that's his experience with Joseph. And he's thinking, if the boy is anything like his dad, might be a good idea to listen to his dad. So he receives this blessing. And, and that is the testimony God would have of us. That despite our failures, and we are going to have them, aren't we? If we learn anything from the book of Genesis, it is a period of God's great grace and kindness and blessing and man's continual fa failure, but God's continual faithfulness. God's blessing over and over and over and over again. But if we can, can live in a consistent manner in which people will look at our lives and say, there, I see the Spirit of God dwelling in this person. And this is, in fact, what God says. And a piece of what we heard even this Sunday. People should see the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and working in us. 
And furthermore, he, he talks about this competent, if there are any competent men among you. We are in this place, we are competent by our own strength. No, we are competent by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that, is the te- that is the true story. Uh, again, coming from this Sunday's message, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, right? That we have become new creatures and a new identity and empowered by God to carry out that new identity as ambassadors. And this is indeed what Joseph and Jacob really are doing now. And this is what the nation Israel will do for the next actually 400 years, 430 years, although it wouldn't all go well. <laughs> uh, it reminds me, um, in the book of John, it says the next day he saw Jesus speaking of John the Baptist and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is on, he who, on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing with water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. This was the testimony of Jesus. Jesus' life was evident. He was clearly sent by God because the Spirit of God rested upon him. And it wasn't just like John also saw this visible thing. He saw it in his life, in his words, in his deeds. It bled out of him quite literally, didn't it? And we too are competent because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. He makes us competent for any task. Verse 11, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers And he gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, also known as Goshen. And there's lots of history behind that. I'd love to talk about it. We don't have time. Um, As Pharaoh had ordered, Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Again, I want to take us back to this comparison and contrast between Jesus and Joseph. Joseph, Joseph sent by God to care for his people. He had all authority to care for the people. His provision was from the king through his hands. And it was sufficient to meet all the needs, not only for his people, but all the people of the land. This is Joseph now. Jesus sent by the father to care for who? His people. First, the Jews. He possessed all authority in heaven and on earth. He carried with him the Holy Spirit and the power of every provision to rescue people from death. His rescue was for Jew and also Gentile because death affects all people of the earth. So we're seeing this, again, this constant picture here in the life of Joseph. As we're wrapping this up, God wants us to make sure we don't miss this. Jesus purchased you and me that we might be sent to care for others who are perishing. Again, what did we hear last week or on Sunday? We are ambassadors. That we have the ministry of reconciliation, that we are reconciled to God and now been entrusted with that same ministry of Christ to reconcile others, that we are to rescue them. 
from the coming storm, the famine, the spiritual famine. We are to be his representatives in a land in which he has placed us. And our bold claim is that we are new creatures with a new identity. Amen? And that ought to give us the boldness, as verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, the boldness then to go wherever we find ourselves. Verse 14, now Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. This is going to be a longer section now. We're going to read all the way through uh, verse 26. In the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. This is speaking of Joseph's integrity. He was very careful to note that that money belonged to Pharaoh, not to him. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us for food, give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. He fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. Verse 18, when that year was ended, they all came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There is, le- <coughs> there is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. I want you to note that. That's really key and important. <coughs> our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food and we will... And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. (coughs) So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon the land. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. <coughs> For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph's <coughs> excuse me. Joseph said to his people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh and um, and here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for these of your household as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests he did not, did not become Pharaoh's. So, as the representative of Pharaoh, uh, Joseph being given all the authority to, and power to act on behalf of Pharaoh, Joseph uses the stored resources of Pharaoh to provide for the people and rescue them from the famine. Who does this sound like again? Jesus is the perfect rescuer. The Father has put all the resources of heaven at his disposal. He has stored them up. In fact, the word, the word says that the, the wicked uh, till, and, till the soil and they do all these things to amass wealth only that it be given. Only that it be given to God's people. 
<clears throat> as one who believes what this says and what, what this reflects regarding Christ, we should all offer all we have in, to him in exchange for our lives. This is this picture. We have nothing. If we're honest, all we have is this dirt bag. And maybe if we're lucky, a square of earth that we live on. But the reality is we have nothing. And we ought to come to him as ones recognizing that everything good is from him. Romans 1, 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Galatians 1, 10, Philippians 1, 1, Titus 1, 1, um, again, 2 Corinthians. Paul says he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In James 1, 1, 2 Peter 1, 1, Jude 1, 1, Peter, James, and Jude, they say that they are bondservants of Jesus Christ. What does that word bondservant mean? Well, we have lost a lot of the understanding of that in our culture, but to give you a, hist a short, very short historical lesson, if you're at all familiar with the potato famine in Ireland, and people would, wanting to flee Ireland, but did not have the means to get to the new world, the United States, well, it wasn't the United States then, but, <clears throat> well, yes, it was, take the back. Um, yes. <clears throat> to get there, what they would do is they would approach a broker and the broker would, would write out a contract and they would become an indentured servant. They would sell their lives into the service of some master that they would meet in the new world, the United States, for a specified period of time. And that master was hopefully benevolent. They were at least required to provide them food, clothing, and shelter. And in exchange, they would offer X number of years. This is what a bondservant is, a willing slave. One that says, I do not have the means to care for myself. I know that you do. I know that you will care for me. And in exchange, I give you a portion of my life. How long is our contract with Christ? Eternity. But see, unlike worldly masters, he is perfect He's not just benevolent. He is the gracious, merciful, ridiculously generous master who gives us not only our basic needs, but all eternity and the riches of heaven. You and I, were, we were purchased. Hopefully we remember that. Uh, there was a season in my life I was sharing with someone this week, uh, part of my testimony. It's like, where, where did we go astray at some point on our walk with Christ and forget that this was a covenant? That when we came and said, you are the God of the universe, the creator of all things, I've sinned against you, I've made a mess of my life, and all I have is this dirt bag, will you take it? Will you forgive me and I'll be your slave for the rest of my life? I surrender my life to you and what you have for me is all going to be amazing. I'll take that deal. Where do, we, where do we get off track and think somehow that we could cancel that deal? 
the gifts and callings and salvation of God, they are irrevocable. But, but I've done it. Perhaps you have. Perhaps you're currently doing that, like forgetting that my life is not my own. Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. What does that look like? It's a daily surrender. It's, it's as the scripture says that I would pick up my cross daily and follow him. Titus 2, 13 through 14, he writes, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And this is the implication that we would be zealous for good deeds. In light of what he's just done, we should be zealous for good deeds. And the greatest deed is to make his name known, that we would share the reconciliation and salvation that we've experienced with others who are perishing. Amen? Now, I do find it kind of interesting that, just on a little side note, that the people were required to pay a portion of their crops to Pharaoh. And I like how that eventually becomes a part of Israel's history then, how it parallels the requirement of the tithe. That Israel is required to give back a tenth, the tithe to the Lord. To remind them, and also for you and us today, that all good things come from his hand, that he is our rescuer indeed, and that we should joyfully give back to him in remembrance of his salvation, but also entrusting what he has already entrusted to us, entrusting it back to him for the good of others. Just a little side note. Verse 27, Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. Now, this is just kind of that temporary picture that we're going to see. God is temporarily fulfilling his promise to Israel. What was his promise? It was land, seed, and blessing, right? Seed referring to um, descendants, more specifically, all the way back to the book, uh, the first cha or third chapter of Genesis, that the seed the seed of man that would rescue and redeem all mankind. But God has brought them into this place. The Goshen is the place the Lord will use to increase the number of Israel. And he was giving them blessings of provision as he established the lineage of the Messiah. And we see this starting to unfold. We'll see it more and more. If you were to continue reading through Exodus, you see again just how God is knitting all these generations of people together. Even as he, we see tonight, raising up um, Ephraim over at Manasseh. So 430 years later, when Israel leaves Egypt, think about this. I, I think one uh, mathematician said roughly the, the population of Israel grew about 6% every year. So that in 430 years, they were at least 2 million people. And that's what we see around the Exodus. 
Verse 29, when the time for Israel to die drew near, this speaking of Jacob, he called his son and Joseph and said to him, please, if I found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but when I lie down to be with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you said. And he said to me, swear to me, so he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. I love this. I love this whole idea that as he is approaching death and he is thinking about his life, he is remembering the promises of God that there is a promised land, a very specific one, the land of Canaan. And he is remembering that his fathers lived there his father and his grandfather and those before him. And he's like, I want to be buried in the promised land. There's going to be people coming back to this land. And we're going to hear that. He knew, Jacob knew that Egypt was not his home. In fact, earlier he even says, we will be sojourning here for a little while. <laughs> now, you and I might say 430 years doesn't seem like a little while, <laughs> Right? But in God's timing, this was just a moment for him to create a nation. But he is ab he's absolutely determined that he would not be buried in Egypt because he wanted to be in the promised land. Now, uh, I've been to a number of funerals and, uh, of believers that just really exemplified uh, what, it, what it means to follow Christ. Again, not perfectly, but really consistent. And there's a song, actually, Pastor Doug's wife, Janet, used to, would sing it occasionally at some of these funerals. And you may have heard it, it's All My Tears. It's actually a song written by this gal, Julie Miller, um, but she had Emmylou Harris sing it. It's All My Tears. Here's just a, a little piece of it, the, of the chorus. It don't matter where you bury me. I'll be home and I'll be free. It don't matter anywhere I lay, all my tears be washed away. And the, the song continues in that same vein. It, there is no point. It doesn't matter where you bury me. Now, Jacob, in contrast, he's like, yeah, it does kind of matter to me where you bury me. But ultimately, I want to be in the promised land. Is that what we desire? As we consider our lives, you know, we're not promised a piece of land on this earth. Not until a long time from now. In the new Jerusalem. But like Jacob, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we should be looking forward to our permanent home. And therefore, it doesn't matter the cost or the location of where we die. I love it that, uh, for instance, um, Bob and Anna Totten, many of you know them. Um, they're, they're now serving full-time in Uganda with uh, Uganda Kids Project, with Bill and Danielle and Agents for Christ. And uh, they've made it very clear. Like, if they die in Africa, they're like, pick a spot here. It doesn't matter where you bury me. I know where I'm going. I'm going to go home where I will be free. Amen? And that's the, perhaps the abandonment we ought to live with that we ought to be, have this excitement that says, man, not foolishly, but with, with godly boldness to say, 
I can do anything. Because what, what's the worst you're going to do? As Dave said on Sunday, what's the worst you're going to do? Send me home? Really? That's the best you got is just send me home? I'll take that deal. I, I like it that as we look at our bodies and and due to sin, our bodies, they are, they are constant reminders, aren't they, of that we should be looking forward to something. And I, and I think this is happening with Jacob as he's, he's about to close, the, close his eyes for the last time. We're looking for a permanent body and a permanent home. And this is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first part of that chapter, referring to our bodies as tents that they wear out. Some of us know that better than others. And we're looking for a new tent. Actually, we're not looking for a new tent. We're looking for a new house. The tent is only temporary. But they are both made by the Lord. But one of them will not perish. Chapter 48. <clears throat> We've got to move along here. All right, here we go. Now, it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. And when he was told to jo Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then J Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, um, which is also um, Bethel, in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous. <clears throat> and I will make you a company of peoples. And I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. What is he referring to? None other than the Abrahamic covenant. He is echoing, almost quoting it perfectly. The same promise that God gave to Abraham and then subsequently to his father Isaac. He's recalling the promises of God. And Jacob wants to ensure that Joseph and the family don't forget in the ensuing years that promise of God. It is being passed down. Yes, it may be an oral tradition, and there was likely notes taken, right? But he doesn't want them to forget the truth. This ain't your home. No matter what's lying ahead, this ain't your home. And God has made a promise he will keep. That's true for you and I. No matter what we face, we need to remember what his promise is. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I will be with you for always, even until the very end of the age, right? And so we can rest in him. Now to your, uh, now your two sons who were born in the land of Egypt before I came to you, verse five, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are, but your offspring that, you have been, that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers and their inheritance. <coughs> So Jacob adopts Joseph's two sons. Why? They will eventually become the replacements for Reuben and Simeon. We'll see that in chapter 40, 49 and 50. <coughs> but he adopts them as his own. And later on in Israel's history, you will see that Joseph's name is not recorded as a tribe, is it? But Ephraim and Manasseh, they are. 
Verse 7, now as for me, when I, come, when I came from Padam, Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. <clears throat> and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? <coughs> Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring me. Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his hands, his right hand, and laid it on the head of Ephraim. He's crossing his arms, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. <coughs> now this was a cultural, cultural no-no in essence. But we've seen this happen before, haven't we? Right? Not in the same variation, uh, but we see the younger receiving the blessing over the older. God's promises to make them a fruitful nation and to multiply their descendants, that eventually would be passed through Ephraim, through the younger son, Again, despite what custom said regarding the greater blessing supposed to be going to the firstborn, Jacob chooses Ephraim, and that was not an accident. This is where the names of the two sons becomes really important. Manasseh means forgetfulness, and Ephraim means fruitfulness. And generations later, God would speak through the prophet Jeremiah these words, Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. You see, God knows his, his understanding reaching through the lens of the future. And he knows what is going to become of Ephraim, that they are going to be fruitful, though they were small at the time. He knew that when he directed, his hand, directed the hands of Jacob to bless Ephraim with the greater blessing, who was going to be the greater tribe? Verse 15, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been shepherd, been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his hand, right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people and he will also be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. 
Now, I like this in the first part. Jacob declares that God has been his shepherd. One of the tra- some translations says, he's fed me all of my life. And this is actually, uh, I didn't realize until I was studying through this, this is the first occurrence of this word, shepherd. This phrase. That he has been the shepherd, the one who has led and fed him. All the days of my life. And it, it ought to draw us back to the Psalms, Right? And the imagery of the shepherd leading his sheep to the food and the water as he provides and he protects them. I mean, this is this crazy, beautiful picture, right? And Joseph was a part of that. Notice again that Jacob is blessing the secondborn with the greater blessing. Again, God knew Ephraim would become strong, the stronger tribe. Um, when Israel first takes the land... Ephraim was given their allotment, and, and the city of Shiloh was included in the, their territory. Uh, again, up to that point, they were a pretty small tribe, but they eventually would become very, very, very large. But more than that, in their midst would, be, would contain some of the important cities of the Bible, one of them being Shiloh. What was significant about that? Well, that's eventually where the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle would be in Shiloh. You know, see, God is looking at this this young boy, the the second born, and he's choosing the smaller and the weaker over the stronger and older. And isn't this a lot like what God has done throughout the centuries, throughout his word? We did it with David, right? And we know this from from the, the scriptures, is that God often chooses the foolish and weak things of the world to do what? To confound the wise. And he does it just because he can. So that when, when that miraculous event or that miraculous or seemingly impossible thing takes place, that weak vessel can't say, oh, I did it. <laughs> no, that we would look at it and say, that could only be God. It was his kindness and his grace. Now, again, on a side note, Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. However, in verse 15, it says he blessed Joseph. So which one is it? It's both. It's both. He blesses both. Because the Bible teaches us that a father and a mother, that they are blessed when their children are following the Lord and are recipients of his blessing. Proverbs 27, a righteous man who walks in integrity, how blessed are the sons after him. And then John writes in 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. What is the greatest blessing? There's, a, there's another proverb that, that talks about, uh, you know, a, a, a good son is, uh, what is it, an ointment to his father's soul, but uh, the bad son, the wicked son is a sorrow to his mother, right? We understand that as he blesses his sons, as he's saying, God's blessings upon your boys, He's saying, Don't, aren't you glad that you know that your boys are receiving the promises of God? What more could we want for our kids? What more could we want for our kids? I mean, if I had to choose, if you had to choose, if you have children, or maybe you have grandchildren or nieces and nephews, whatever that may be, what more could you choose for them and for your own life if you said, okay, I could have all the things of this world, but my kids or my my nephews or grandkids, they will never know Jesus. They will never know God. 
or you'll get nothing in this life. It will be a life of misery, but your kids will know Jesus. Which one would you choose? Yeah, right? As parents, we're like, well, I'll take this short-term hit because there's eternity to enjoy the rest of it with my kids. And so he is blessing Joseph by blessing his kids. Verse 20, he blessed them that day saying, but you, Israel, will pronounce blessings saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then he said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So Jacob's final words, what are they? To Joseph, I'm gonna give you one more portion it won't be in your name. It'll be in the name of your two sons because they're going to need to make up for Reuben and Simeon who've jacked this thing up terribly. And, and I'll get to them, <laughs> he says. But more importantly, he spoke prophetically when he said, God will bring you back to the land of your forefathers, of your fathers. He will bring you. And who is he speaking to in that moment? Verse 20 again, he blessed them that day saying, who is he blessing? Ephraim and Manasseh, you will be brought back to the land. And he's referring to their descendants, but also to Joseph. Again, we know the end of the story. Joseph's bones are eventually carried back during the Exodus, back to the land of Canaan and buried there. Ephraim and Manasseh, their tribes will be returned to the promised land, thus fulfilling the covenant the Lord made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob but it would take 430 years. But God does not fail in keeping his promises, amen? So in two weeks, we're gonna wrap up the book of Genesis. Next week, I wanna encourage you, if, if you're not aware of this, we are having a service next week. It's gonna be a Thanksgiving service, a special service, family service, so you can bring your kids, It'll be an hour-long service. But as we think about this, and just the incredible goodness and kindness of God, to, to remind his people, listen, times are going to get really bad, but I haven't forgot you. It's going to be worse than you think, but I haven't forgot you. I am going to take you and bring you to the land which I promised you. We need to hear that, don't we? We need to hear that. I need to hear that. As I look at the news and the results of some of the election and everything else, I can start spinning and thinking, oh my gosh, we need to can everything, freeze everything, you know, stock up everything. You can get your head spinning a whole bad, bunch of bad ways. But no, he promised he would be enough. I, I probably should rest in that. And, and then furthermore, seeing the signs, we should be about his business. But as we wrap up this, <clears throat> this end and the closing the era of Jacob and Joseph, it should ought to cause us to look forward to the exodus where then God takes his people out of the trial and sends them on their way. Now, didn't go all as the hope they had hoped. Um, they, they made some terrible mistakes along the way, much like you and I do every day. But yet God was firm in his promise, I will take you. I will return you to the land. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together. Thank you.